Good morning. Who knew Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs would have such spiritual meaning for us? Um, well, good morning. Thank you for coming this morning. I actually, I debated coming out of that door because I feel like Mr. Rogers this morning, and it just seemed fitting. But um, you know what I love about that clip? As I, as I watched it, um, I, we've seen that movie, I don't know, 18,000 times with our children. And what I love about that little 30-second video clip is, uh, number one, it, it is such a reflection of us. I mean, that look, we have a screenshot here. That look, do you recognize that look? I mean, this is how we stare at our screens of all types, right? This is actually how my wife stares at me when I walk in the door, all right? Is that, where are you at, honey? Is that how you remember that, pretty much? Why we're remembering it differently, okay. Um, this is actually how I look at anybody taller than me. Like, they'll walk in the room and I'm like, you're 5'5"? Five, five? How, how did you do that, okay? And so, it's, it's a reflection of us. We are awe-filled people. We just are. There is something in us. We are full of awe. But it's also a reminder. It's a reminder that we are constantly looking for somewhere to direct the awe within us. And we will find something. In fact, some of our greatest moments of celebration and joy come from, from being able to pour out awe on something. And it's also tied to some of our greatest regrets and disappointments. But maybe what I love most about that clip is it's just, it's an invitation. It's an invitation because Christmas is an invitation from our Heavenly Father to direct the awe that he's put within us to direct it upward as they all looked up. And it's a reminder that the best place we can pour out all that awe that we're full of is the one place that can continue to fill us up and fill us up and fill us up over and over and over again. In fact, as we look over the next month at the, at the different lives that God included in the different stories around the birth of his son, of Jesus, what you'll see are lives that full of awe, they just made a choice. They made a choice to direct that awe toward God. And as a result, they saw something. And then they experienced something. And it produced something. And it did something in their lives. But here, I think, is the danger for us. When it comes to the Christmas narrative, um, the different stories, many of us, maybe the first time we heard it, first couple times we heard it, we were full of awe. But then what happens is it gets very familiar, right? And once something gets familiar, we tend to associate that with boring, and our awe gets directed elsewhere. It happens a lot at Christmas. We started to touch on it last week a little bit. But we start to direct our awe elsewhere. And when awe gets misplaced, what we'll find out this morning is we miss out on something. So before we get to, in the coming weeks, we'll talk about wise men, we'll talk about shepherds, we'll talk about Joseph, we'll talk about Jesus, obviously. But before we get to those, today, today we've got to stop on a life that, that honestly the awe was misplaced. And when you see how it was misplaced, we're also going to see what this man missed out on. It's a man named Herod. And so if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Here's what it says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king 
of the Jews. Now, if you know anything about Herod, this should be starting to produce a sense of, uh-oh, uh-oh, because when you know about Herod, you realize this is not going to fly. Herod was actually, here he is, he's king of this Jewish region, but he was not Jewish himself at all. He and his father had actually converted, and many think that they converted simply to gain access to the throne as king. And so it would, be like, it would be like a Raiders fan growing up, rooting for the Raiders their entire lives, and then they hear Waterworld up north here has Bronco Fan Day, Bronco Fan Appreciation Day. And that Raider fan shows up at Waterworld and says, oh, you know what, I'm a Bronco fan. And not only do they let him in, they say, you know what, we're giving you this place. Yes, this was Herod. This is what Herod did. And so in 37 BC, you know what the Romans did? They said, Herod, we want you to oversee that entire region. You're going to oversee all, all of that area, but you're going to do what we want you to do. He was like a puppet king to them. But Herod was, was actually declared by the Romans king of the Jews. And now we have magi. We've got these wise men showing up. And what are they asking? Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Uh-oh. Well, it gets worse, actually. They continue and they explain. We saw his star when it rose. Uh-oh. We saw his star when it rose. And have come to worship him. Uh-oh. See, many of us, we would, we would see the significance of wise, wise men showing, showing up from the east. Because throughout the Old Testament, many of the rivals and the attackers of God's people, where do you think they came from? The east. They came from the east. And yet here they come with no weapons, no army. They bring gifts. And there's a star that they've been following that no man could have possibly manufactured. And they say they've come to worship the one born king of the Jews. Now, this should be a sign that should have stopped Herod in his tracks. But instead, it did something else. Verse 3 says this. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. To give you an idea how disturbed Herod got, when his power was threatened, he was, he was known to have multiple members of his family. He had them killed, his own wives even. He had them killed when he, when he perceived that they were a threat to his power. And so we understand how Herod was disturbed. But then there's this, um, there's this interesting statement that follows. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, why would all of Jerusalem be disturbed that they came to worship a king? I mean, the king would, of course, be disturbed, but why would the people be disturbed? Well, because the lifestyle that King Herod allowed was one that they really liked. And so they may not have respected him as king, but they accepted him as king. Because King Herod allowed for the people to live really, really lavish lifestyles. And oftentimes, they had much more, they had wants on top of their needs. It's actually not too different than we live today. Many people have margin to get their wants and not just their needs. And if you zoom out from this, you can see something happening here. When you zoom out, you can see that Herod and the people of Jerusalem, they have an awe problem. They've got an awe problem. Two kings contending for one throne. And Jerusalem is disturbed. And you want to know why? 
Because when awe gets misplaced, when awe gets misplaced, we will often place the king of our wants on the throne of our lives. When our awe gets misplaced, we'll place the king of our wants on the throne of our lives. I was reminded of this um, years ago. We took a youth trip out to California. We actually took numer numerous youth trips out there. But one year, this was before iPods, this was before MP3s, this was before digital media. I know, we're going back a little ways this morning, all right? But on our way out there, we make our first stop, and we had told all the students, we said, look, you're going to need $150 to $200 spending money on these trips because we're going to California, it's going to be more expensive to eat, and that's, that's just the minimum amount you're going to need just to be able to pay for food out there. So we get to our first stop, and it's, like a, it's just a gas stop, and this kid runs out, and he's so excited, and he's like, Nathan. And he's holding up the premier device of the time, a Sony Discman, a Sony Discman. I was like, cool, man, I'm glad you brought that. And he said, no, I just bought it. And I was like, you, you just bought it? We're at a truck stop. He's like, I know, but they told me I'm not going to find a price better than this. And I was like, at a truck stop? He's like, how much money did you bring? $150, I'll be fine. I was like, how much was the, how much was the Discman? $110. I was like, we have 10 days left on this trip and you have $40 left. He's like, I know, $4 a day. I can live on $4 a day. And I was like, no, you cannot, especially not in California. But that's what we'll do when we misplace our awe, when our awe shows up somewhere and it's placed on something that it shouldn't be placed on, we will put the king of our wants on the throne of our lives. But misplaced awe doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop. It actually gets, it gets worse. And, and all you have to do to see that is to see what Herod did next. Verse 4 of chapter 2. It says, When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Now, I want you to make a note about this. Just think about this. Herod calls together, what's the wording? The people's chief priests and teachers of the law. Why were these the people's chief priests and teachers of the law? Because they often said and did and taught what the people wanted. Or they would weigh the people down with burdens. Either way, the people felt a sense of obligation to them. And so Herod knew this. And he gathers together people that are going to, they're going to think the way he does. In fact, all you have to do is walk through the different accounts of Jesus' life. And you know what you see? The chief priests and the teachers of the law, they knew about God. They just didn't know God. They knew about him. They just didn't know him. And by the end, many of them were the ones who also wanted Jesus wiped off the map. And so Herod gathers a group of people that he thinks, oh, maybe they think like me. Well, it keeps going. So he gathers these guys together. And in verse 7, a couple of verses later, it says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly. Secretly. You ever do things in secret? It's because you don't want anybody to know about it. Well, why are we being shady, Herod? It continues. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. 
as soon as you find him, report to me. Man, this is a lot of oversight, Herod, isn't it? So he's, he's gathering to pe- together people that think like he does. He's doing things in secret. And he's, he's really, really trying to control what happens. And then it lands here. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Is Herod going to worship Jesus? Remember, he was disturbed. He was disturbed and he wanted to find Jesus, but not to worship him. Well, in the few verses that follow, the Magi, they actually, they run off and they find Jesus and they're actually warned by an angel not to return to Herod. Because, well, the angel knows what Herod actually wants to do. And so it says this in verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. This is, so this is Jesus' father. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Okay, so put all this together now. Here's Herod. And he's gathering together people who think like him. And then, he's, and then he's gathering people together secretly. And he's trying to control what they're going to do. And then he's lying about it so that ultimately he can kill them. Or to kill Jesus. Now, do you, do you know what misplaced awe does? It causes us to act in ways, as we see here with Herod, that we were never intended to live in. We were never intended to live like that. And yet, that's all Herod can do because Herod is drunk with self-awe and drunk people make really bad decisions. They make terrible decisions. They were never meant to live that way. See, misplaced awe not only places the king of our wants on the throne of our lives, but misplaced awe also, also acts in ways that will stop at nothing to keep him there. Let me just ask a question because this crowd may be, um, this, just in, in a room this size, there's bound to be somebody or maybe the whole crowd. Does anybody in here, um, is anybody in here a bull rider? <laughs> no? No, me either. I know you were wondering, but I'm, I'm actually not. Okay, how many of you have ridden a mechanical bull? All right. How many of you went back for a second one? Wow, you're better than I am. All right, well... If you've, if you've never been on a mechanical bull, when you get on that thing, what they, what they often like to do is lull you into thinking you're in control. And so they've got these dials, okay? And one is like forward and backward, and one is left, right. And then I think there's a third one that's just psycho, and they just, they just can turn that up anytime they want. So um, what happens is they'll start you on a scale of 1 to 10. They'll start you like a 1, and, you know, you're feeling feeling good, like, oh, I got this. I could probably be a professional bull rider. That's what I thought the first time I was on one. And then I, I think they kicked forward back up to like three, and it was a little scary, but I was fine. Um, I, I could feel a, bit, a little bit of the turning up of the left, right. And then I think they just kicked Psycho up to 10, and I was off in, in a quarter of a second. Well, here's what I noticed. It wasn't so much that day, um, because I had gone in really feeling like I got this. I've got this. It was the next day. I noticed muscles I never realized I had just totally locked up. And they were muscles that are needed for like your needs, like eating. Like my jaw, I don't know if I clenched the entire time or what, but I could not eat. 
And did you know you have muscles between your ribs? They're called intercostal muscles. And they don't necessarily help you breathe, but they definitely help you. They help facilitate the process. I could not breathe for like three days. It just, every, every inspiration of breath just hurt. That's what misplaced awe will do. It will cause us to act in ways, use muscles that we were never intended to use to keep the king of our wants on the throne. And as a result, there are implications of all of this. We continue through the passage, and it says this. This is Joseph after the angel has, says, has said, leave this place. Verse 14. So he, Joseph, got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. Do you want to know the first thing that happens when we place our awe outside of where it should be? is we actually drive God out. Here's Herod. He's in the vicinity of, he's near Jesus. And yet, where does Jesus end up? He's driven out into Egypt. It continues a couple verses later. Verse 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. See, you know what happens? You don't just drive God out you also, we, we deceive ourselves when we misplace our awe. We can actually deceive ourselves. And then third, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. That's what's on the line when we misplace this sense of awe that God has filled us with. We drive God out, we deceive ourselves, and we actually hurt other people when we do it. Herod, Herod has an awe problem. But if I'm totally honest, I have an awe problem. Every single person in this room has an awe problem. And the reason that we just let it go by is because we forget about the implications. We forget about it. And Herod, drunk with self-awe, is totally out of control. And there's a lesson here. There's a lesson. And it's simply this, that when awe gets misplaced, God gets replaced. When awe gets misplaced, God gets replaced. We can actually drive him out of our lives. Do you remember back, I mean, you've gotten those Christmas gifts before that are, like, you, you like them, and then you get those Christmas gifts that you just love? Like, like when I talk about placing your awe into something, you think of this gift. Okay, I remember back, we're, now we're going back to the 1980s, okay? So we're going back before Discman's. I remember asking my mom, I wanted the Def Leppard Hysteria album, Okay. And it was, it was only available in cassette tape, okay? And she said no, all right, because it was like it was rock and roll. I was younger. She just didn't want me exposed to that, and I appreciate that, Mom. I can't remember what I said back. I do remember saying that, um, it was a total lie, but I do remember telling her that I believe this is a band that was dedicated to raising the awareness and compassion of leopards that were going deaf. And... <laughs> Something worked, actually. So I got that gift on Christmas Day. It was amazing. 
It's not even spelled like it. Anyway. But remember cassette tapes? It was play, fast forward, rewind, pause, stop, rewind, fast forward, play. And cassette tapes have that ribbon in them, right? And you can actually overawe a cassette tape. Have you ever listened to a cassette tape where you've, it's just been overawed and the ribbon is, is damaged? Yeah, Def Leppard was, uh, it got less fun to listen to after a, a while. But that is exactly what happens. When we place our awe, when we overemphasize and misplace our awe where it doesn't belong. When awe gets misplaced, God gets replaced. And we pour our awe into things that are just going to disappoint us. I think that cassette tape lasted like six months. I don't know, I mean every day. I can still give you all the words to all the songs, but uh, I'm not going to. And it's just incredible, our propensity to do this over and over and over. But what happened next in this narrative is exactly what I want us to see. Because God's sovereignty is all over this passage. Verse 19. Three words. After Herod died. You're like, wow, Nathan, that's, that's a downer, all right? No, after Herod died, I want you to think about this for a minute. Here's a guy who controlled, he lied, he manipulated, he tried to kill. He, he um, grabbed people, he got people together that only thought like he did, and he tried to control others. And after all that, after all the power of his title and everything else, he died. There was one thing Herod could not control, and it was simply that his life was coming to an end. After, here's how the whole verse reads. Verse 19, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. See, I look at Herod and I just think it didn't have to go this way. Herod, it didn't have to go this way. But over and over and over and over, you see this man who places his awe, where? In himself. In what he wanted. In what the people wanted. And Jerusalem did as well. Over and over and over. And I just look at it and you get sad for Herod because it didn't have to happen that way. You want to know what else I notice in this passage? God did not do the thing that many of us think he's going to do when we misplace our awe. God did not show up and wipe Herod out. Two kings, one throne, and as far as we know, they never even met. All that happened was the passing of time until Herod's life was over. And he was known as a brilliant architect. He was known for, for other things. But you want to know the thing he's most known for? Is he tried to replace God. He tried to replace God instead of live in awe of him. And, and there's, there's, a, there's a lesson here. That when awe gets misplaced, God gets replaced, but Jesus will have his place on that throne. He will. The other thing, we haven't even gone into them, are the number of prophecies that come true in Matthew 1 and 2 and in Luke 1 and 2. God will stop at nothing to fulfill his word, and he will stop at nothing to put Jesus on the throne one way or another. And so the question lands with us. 
the question lands with us. Are we going to try to replace God by misplacing that awe? Or are we going to live in awe of not just what he did at Christmas, but what he's doing every single day? At the church, we just believe that's a story that needs to be told over and over and over and over. That's why you're hearing about the Christmas program so much, because if you're like me, if, you were to, if somebody asked you to sit down and one-on-one tell somebody the full story, I would need some prep time for that. And this is an opportunity to just say, here's a ticket, just come watch the show, and you can hear it for yourself. It's an opportunity to bring somebody here and let them experience the awe of God. That's why we talk about it so much, because it's, an, it's a massive opportunity. So as the, as the worship team comes up, one, one thing to leave you with, one question is simply this. At one time, there was, maybe is, a king that is on the throne of your life and on my life. And he shouts and he kicks and he screams and he tries to control his place on that throne. But Christmas is the reminder of the arrival of another king. And he's a king who won't kick, he won't force, he won't scream. He patiently waits and lovingly waits. And you know what he says? Well, he just waits. He says, will you let me in? Will you let him in? Will you actually let him have the throne? It's something to consider. So please stand as we, as we close in worship.